Hello, science enthusiasts. My name is Jason Zakowski, and your host. I'm a high school chemistry teacher, but you, you probably know our dog, Bunsen Burner. He's the Twitter science dog. This show takes what's best about Bunsen's account, the science and empathy found there, and spins it into podcast form. Every week, you'll learn some new science in our science news section. We'll also talk about some really interesting dog or pet science. Every week, there's an amazing expert that is interviewed, and we get to learn so much from them. And we end the podcast with stories and trivia. This is The Science Podcast. That's the amazing chemistry cake, a.k.a. Christine K. She's a talented artist and just an amazing person. She was a guest in season one of the Science Podcast. Hey, everybody. Hope you guys are all staying safe out there. Well, we're in the first crazy week of this social isolation. Our family is healthy and safe. If you're wondering, we're trying to limit our exposure to the outside world as much as possible. Um, We have cases within our city now of COVID-19. We do still have to go get groceries. So I'm the one that goes out to get the groceries. and, And every time we're out, it's day zero of exposure, right? So... Um, even though Adam really hasn't left the house in a week, every time we come home, we could expose him to it. So hand washing and be very careful when you're out and about not to touch your face. As I mentioned at the start of last week's podcast, all of the school systems within Alberta are shut down. Chris and I are both, uh, scrambling to turn all of our education that we would normally teach in the classroom to online. Luckily for her, She's on spring break, quote unquote spring break. I bugged her. She could probably take a vacation to the living room. I've been uh, prepping to roll out all of the online stuff on Monday. It looks like we are ready to go. Um, It's been been mentally exhausting. Lots of long nights, but uh, we're, we're there. It's great. Bunsen has sure enjoyed everybody being home. Dogs have definitely won in this whole social isolation quarantine business. On the humor section, I mixed up a whole bunch of hand sanitizer. Uh, from chemicals that our school will have left over um, just so we had some on hand because people have bought out all of the hand sanitizer in in Red Deer. Hand sanitizer isn't as good as washing your hands, uh, but a local uh, news place did an article on it. It was really cute. And our local breweries are now switching to make hand sanitizer, which is great because it is in short supply. It really looks like we're going to be on this social isolation for a long time. So what better way than listening to a podcast? In science news, we're going to take a look at a crazy article where a limb from a mouse was transplanted onto another mouse using some really interesting biotech. In dog science, we're going to take a look at why dogs scratch the ground after they pee. And our guest in the Ask an Expert section is Jeffrey Ward. He is an amateur birder from New York City. Hey, uh, Bunsen, how do crows stick together in a flock? They use Velcro. Ah! Okay, on with the show. Because there's no time like science time. This week in science news, a crazy article caught my eye from Science Advances about how 
researchers were able to basically trick cancer cells and reprogram them to help an animal's immune system not reject a transplanted limb. I don't know if you guys were ever, when you were little, you ever thought about, oh, well, if my arm got chopped off, you could just put like a gorilla arm on there. Maybe that was just me. Transplanting anything has huge risks to the patient. Even if you look in humans, like if you put any kind of like human, like a human transplant, like a heart or tissue, most of the time those people have long-term drug regimens they have to take to suppress their own immune system to not reject the tissue, um, unless it's a perfect genetic match. And then that in itself has dangerous uh, consequences because constantly suppressing your immune system, then you're at risk for other secondary infections. So what did they do in this study? Well, rats were injected with tiny micro-engineered particles from cancer. And for 200 days, and this is in the absence of drugs that suppress immune systems. So this is with just using these tiny engineered micro-particles. The limb from another mouse stayed attached to the host mouse. What were these micro-particles? Well, What they did was they signaled a protein known as CCL22 from cancer cells that attracts immune cells. Those immune cells are uh, called regulatory T cells. They mark the rat's new tissue as self. So the limb that was attached was marked by these microparticles, these little proteins. It tricked the rat's body into thinking that the new host tissue was self-tissue and it wasn't attacked. This is completely fundamentally different than anything else that's being used right now in medicine. Now, there's a long ways to go. Please don't think that if somebody horrifically loses a limb, we could just put another human arm on there or something like that. Like, that's a long ways to go. This basically takes what cancer is really good at, and cancer is really good at hiding from our own immune system, right? So cancer grows kind of under the radar within the body. And that's what they were trying to do. They took that same idea from cancer cells, like re-engineered it. So the cancer cells particles basically caused this limb to fly under the radar of our immune system. Because our immune system really has no chill when there's an infection. When it realizes an infection, everything goes crazy, go nuts. Another crazy side effect within this study is the regulatory T cells migrated to the site of the trans, uh, transplant and actually helped reduce inflammation. So not only did they make the, the host um, the host you know tissue say, oh, this is part of us, they actively stopped swelling, which also can lead to complications with transplant. So the rats used were brown Norway rats, and white Lewis rats. And the researchers found some problems with another type of rat called the Wistar Firth. It didn't do very well, but the other rat did. So it kind of seems like the tissue and its success was dependent on the original donor. Skin is a tricky thing. Skin is our first line of defense against the outside world. So anytime you have skin on anything that's being grafted, our, our body's ready to attack anything that's not considered self. And so anything attaching to the skin is very sensitive. It's really exciting that they were able to get this limb like without it falling off or, or being rejected. The researchers within the, within the study were really excited and other researchers were too, but they tempered their expectations with that this is extremely far away from being used in humans. However, 
you know, with some of the doom and gloom scenario stuff that we've been going through the last couple of weeks, this is just a really cool study. Just think if they could repurpose cancer cells to do this for humans, we may, this may be the bridge between where we are now with robotic limbs and where we will be in 50 years. This could be the bridge to allow us to get there. However, this could just be a dead end. It could just be a really interesting thing that happens in the lab and doesn't translate to the real to the real world. One can hope, I can always hope that at one time in the future, I'll have a gorilla arm. I don't think Chris would be too happy about that. But man, boy, my bench press would go up. Hi-yo! <laughs> okay, that's science news for this week. This week in dog science, let's chat a little bit about dogs and peeing. The article is about why dogs might scratch the ground after they pee. Now, I've seen dogs do this before, and I've been puzzled by it because I've never had a dog that does that. Bunsen sure as heck doesn't scratch the ground after he pees or does his number two. He does stuff with the ground, like especially the grass in the summer. He'll have fun and he'll eat a giant hole and put his face in it because the ground is really cool. And in the winter, he'll eat, he'll dig all the snow away so he can get down to the ground, but it's just to play with the grass. I don't think it has anything to do with scratching the ground. It has nothing to do when he pees, but I've seen dogs before do that. They, they scratch the ground after they pee. They fling dirt everywhere. And this article came across my, uh, you know, my feed and I was like, boy, that's really interesting. Let's chat about it. Now, this is kind of rare. So if you, if your dog doesn't do this, that's probably more typical. They think that the the veterinarians that they talk to about this um, in the United Kingdom peg it around 10% of dogs and it's about equal in both male and female. Other uh, canine type species do it too. Wolves and coyotes, even lions. Lots of large mammals, maybe. And it's and it's in the wild animals where the best research has come into perhaps why dogs do it too. So wolves live in packs, right? They're really social creatures. And the dominant, like the, the leader of the pack might show this behavior to kind of show their territory and mark off where they are and what's kind of they, what belongs to who. What they kind of think with wolves is it's directed to strangers of other packs. It's easy to see, it's easy to smell, because dogs do have a good sense of smell. Carla Siracusa, a veterinary behaviorist at the University of Pennsylvania, talked about how, while scratching the ground makes definitely a good visual impact, it's got to be the smell from flinging stuff everywhere. It's the fluid secreted by the glands of the wolf's paws, too, as they scrape it up, and maybe, and as well as the urine or defecation that's left behind. So, basically... By flinging the dirt everywhere, the dogs are flinging their scent everywhere. And in previous podcasts, we talked about how amazing the the dog knows it's smelling. And wolves are, are exactly the same. When we look at our pets, at our pet dogs, they mirror the wild animals. Dogs do fling dirt everywhere and they do secrete special fluids from their paws. But it's really unclear if other dogs can like pick up that scent or if it bothers them. I mean, there's... There's more information that needs to be done on those. What was really interesting is that dogs have special glands in their feet that produce pheromones. So maybe some of these dogs have more a pheromone produce, producement in their paws that gets kicked out when they're flinging dirt everywhere. It's kind of unclear what function the pheromones have in the dog paws, but they're there. Well, dogs that do it, when I, when I saw a couple dogs do it, it looks like they're really angry. Like they're just 
cheesed at the ground. The veterinarian uh, researchers don't agree it's aggressive in any way. It's just hard work. It's like leaving the world's best video message, but instead of video, it's smell. So you got to work at it to make the message as good as possible. The vet researchers don't think the behavior is harmful. So if your dog does this, it's not something you need to kind of like stop them from doing unless they're obsessively doing it for longer than a few, you know, few seconds. They're just going to get on with it and get it done and then do their business. Syracuse cautions about stopping your dog from doing this behavior. It might be just deeply ingrained inside them. And you might give your dog anxiety if they can't do something that's like super, super ingrained in their DNA. They're just trying to tell other dogs a message. They're just trying to say, hey, I'm here. Um, so if you stop them from doing that, it might get stressed out. So if you see a dog doing that, it's not aggressive. Basically, they're just sending a big hey-o to the dogs that are around. Bunsen doesn't do that. I don't know if he, he does definitely look aggressive when he's scratching the ground, um, but he doesn't do it in conjunction with peeing. He, 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 you got to watch him because if you don't watch him, he'll tear a great big hole in the ground as big as his face um, in, the, in the summer. And then, you know, you got to fix that grass with sod. Good job, Bunsen. Too bad he's not sending a message to other dogs. He's just being lazy and wants a cool face. That's dog science for this week. Hey everybody, before we get to the interview section, I thought I'd tell you guys a little bit about how the podcast is made possible. It's made possible by listeners just like you. The people who support the show sign up on our Patreon page, and it's at patreon.com backslash Bunsenburner. There's four different tiers of support for how much you think you'd like to support the show. The lowest tier is only $5 a month. It's really only a couple cups of coffee. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying take the coffee out of your diet to support the show because I will go crazy without coffee. But if you really like the show and you like the content, please consider signing up at our Patreon page. You can sign up with a credit card or with PayPal, and then it's out of your mind. Every month, uh, a small fee is uh, thrown our way to help run the show. And we so appreciate our patron support. Thanks, guys. Back to the show. On the Science Podcast, as our expert, I'm super excited to talk to Jeffrey Ward, who is all things birds. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Uh, where Where are you calling from in the world, just so people can get an idea? I am in the Bronx, New York. Have you lived in New York your whole life? Yes. Born and raised in the Bronx, still in the Bronx. Okay. Very cool. One of the one of the things I have a, a question for you is you're you're big on Twitter with birds. Um, where did your bird knowledge come from? I'm mainly self-taught. I started, uh, when I was young on wildlife shows and like field guides and stuff. I'm taking online classes for Cornell university at the moment, uh, comprehensive bird biology. So I'm learning a lot from that, but, uh, for the most part, it was all, uh, from what I knew, uh, from field guides and so what in the, in the wild. Yeah. When you what got you so interested in, in birds? Like something must have connected with you with them when you were young or was it later in life? Uh, I'm, I'm curious where your passion for birds came from. Um, I, think it, I think it started with the fact that they can fly. And, you know, like as a child, flying seemed so cool. But um, I also didn't grow up ideal. I had a very rough upbringing and wanting to like fly away from that seemed like uh like just something that i wanted to do sometimes so i think it, i think it, it mainly stemmed from because i i i grew up with uh 
field guides of all kinds, like uh, mammals and I have mammals, plants, fish, like all different types of field guides. So I think it was the, just the fact that uh, these things can fly and pick up and go wherever they want. Oh, very cool. Yeah, they're just watching them soar about. Maybe it was a connection with freedom with them, maybe, hey? Yeah. With your account on Twitter, you uh, call yourself a birder, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So for, for people that don't understand what a birder is, what exactly is a birder? If you were to explain that to somebody who didn't know what that meant. It's a <laughs> – it's I, I, I look at it as just a, uh, a cooler – word for bird watcher but people typically look at bird watcher as uh as the old person on their porch um <laughs> uh watching uh, a couple cardinals and blue jays from their rocking chair but um this is uh, a little more competitive it's a lot of chasing it's a lot of you know uh uh learning and teaching a lot of learning birds like bird calls and sounds and it's, it's a lot that goes into uh Better for me. Okay, perfect. I'm glad you. I'm glad you explained that because um, I I've heard the term before, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure maybe what it meant. And I'm sure some people who listen to the podcast yeah. would be a little confused too. So thank you for explaining that. Do you have some bird watching tips you could give people if this is something that you you find that you enjoy and it's maybe a little competitive? I, I'd imagine you have some ideas you could throw out there for folks to increase their chances of uh, in their in their bird watching? Probably get out as much as you can. Um, like absent field guides work well, but I find nothing better than just like being out in, in the field, like watching behavior, the, the, the plumage, plumage differences from like the spring to the fall get crazy. <laughs> and field guides typically, well, some field guides typically give you like the ideal plumages, but being out in the field, you know that they don't always look how they look in the books. It also gives you a better uh, understanding on size and shape. And yeah, so getting out as much as you can and not being afraid to make mistakes. Like that's a big part. Like identifying a bird wrong and saying, hey, that's a- yeah. okay. Now in New York City um, is extremely populated. Do you do you have success in New York finding finding birds or do you get yourself out of the city sometimes to go look? Um, I do get myself out of the city, but New York is such a weird place. We New York kind of makes no sense sometimes. So like uh, my brother Jason lives in Georgia and for him to see a kestrel for example he would have to go to like the farm side where like uh kestrels um belong but here we i can i can leave my building right now and see two kestrels that nest down the block from my apartment building so new york kind of makes no sense uh everything is uh everything passes through here and uh so yeah it's, it's very successful as far as birds go Oh, interesting. Like it might be on some kind of migration path or it's just the right kind of... Um, no, no, the, the, the kestrels live here for the most part. Oh, okay, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's just like the... Um, it's not its natural habitat. So they've made the city their own habitat. Yeah. That's cool. And then New York has Central Park. Is is that a good place to go look for birds? It's that enormous uh, like green space in the, the center of the city. Or, or are you talking like just about anywhere in New York where there's a tree or, or a building, you might be able to have success with birds? 
Um, mainly the parks. Um, I I think as, as long as you're looking anywhere in the city, you'll find things. But um, yeah, Central Park is is one of the best. Easily during migration, get 60, 70 species, depending on how long you spend in the park. Um, my, bro- my brother Jason came one year, and we had about 65 species in a day. Wow. So, yeah, Central, yeah, Central Park during migration is ideal. That must be really exciting when there's that many in a day for you f- to check off, hey? Yeah, there. that's amazing, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> my wife and I visited New York City um, about four years four years ago, five years ago, and that was during the Pokemon Go craze. So it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, I don't know if you, uh, you probably obviously were around Central Park, but it was insane. That's where, like, there's hordes of people just standing around those Pokestops catching Pokemon. Um, Yeah. (laughs) and, uh, And I was just amazed by how beautiful Central Park was. I was like, hey... Get off your phones, look at the nature, but I mean, at least it was getting people outside, I guess. That's the but that's that was my experience of that area. It was gorgeous and then there was all these like clumps of 100 people around the Pokestops, which was really funny. <laughs> Did you go for uh bird reasons or like vacation reasons? Um the the main the main reason was for va- uh, vacation. Like uh we're okay. from, we're from Canada and and um New York City is really romanticized in all of the media and the movies, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. it did not disappoint. I thought New York was one of the coolest places I've ever been in my entire life. You know, seeing the different things, the different places and the different touristy spots. We went to a show on Broadway, which was cool. Um, I just yeah. liked, I just liked walking around. It was just, it's, it's a pretty coming from a small kind of rural area. It's pretty alien to, to us. Um, it was, it was a pretty fantastic trip. Being here all my life, um, <laughs> I'm about ready to leave, but I, <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> the the uh, the tourist aspect and like uh, not not being from here and wanting to visit here, yeah. Just, uh, everything is here, so I get that. Yeah, I don't know much about birds, but uh, when I was that was one thing I noticed in Central Park is there were they were everywhere. You could just we you know why we had lunch in Central Park a couple times, and you could just plunk down on a bench in the middle of this massive super populated metropolis and there would be just wildlife everywhere it was i thought that was one of the coolest places in new york is central park um mm-hmm. one of my favorite places it's so cool yeah um one of the things you mentioned on twitter and and this is a good kind of psa for people is uh some about in cat keeping cats inside yes can can you speak to that why is it so important to, for us to keep our pet cats inside okay so um cats are invasive uh, they don't belong, in the, they're not wild animals. So with that being said, cats kill approximately 2.4 billion birds a year in the U.S. alone. So, um, and they've contributed to the extinction of a good amount of amount of animals. And it's just like when we when we have a a, a rat problem, we 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 handle it. We um we get rid of we get rid of the the situation we get, we eliminate the the um the problem when there's a, a lawn with dandelions or whatever the case may be people get rid of these these plants uh because they're problems but people are used to seeing cats as cute and cuddly in their houses and ignore the fact that they're causing such a problem outdoors for, yeah for people who do that's an amazing statistic hey that 
that billions of birds are, are killed by cats. Uh, yeah, whether the cat is well fed or not, they will still they have that instinct <laughs> to hunt. So people think, oh no, I feed my cat all the time. He doesn't he doesn't uh, uh, kill anything. I've never seen him. That doesn't mean anything. They're gonna see a bird and get excited and jump and pounce on it to play with it and kill it and then walk away from it because it's not moving anymore. So the uh, they they are aptly t- titled the murder floofs. Hey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so keep your cats inside and don't let them outside. They're perfect pets inside, mm. but you know, I that's that's kind of shocking that they 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 do kill that many birds. And 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 a lot of people think, oh, because uh, uh, I get this a lot. I'm the crazy bird guy, so <laughs> I care about birds and nothing else. But no, they kill mammals. They kill <clears throat> amphibians, reptiles. Like they kill so many different things and so many different native things. That's a that's another big part. Is this is an invasive species killing native species? And that has to stop. I hope. I think things are changing. There's a lot of science communication going out about this, about uh, just how detrimental cats are. Our, Vancouver Island in Canada is this like gorgeous place. Uh, it's a. It's just off the west side of our country, and they tracked like a couple cats. I remember I was reading the story, and like two of these feral outside cats systematically extirpated like this really rare bird from the area like they just hunted this bird to extinction in that area two cats Mm -hmm. like just two cats and another another thing that maybe you'd be interested in is there's this uh little tiny town called banfield and it's on vancouver island and it's where the marine biology station is for for uh, western canada and school trips go there so i'm taking a group of kids to this um, marine station in a couple months and they have this they used to have this hotel outside for cats of all of these like outdoor cats that were homeless and they the locals would feed them cuz they're really cute and it was kind of a tourist attraction to go see the cat hotel and then the biologists like crunched the numbers and it was horrific what what was happening and they mm-hmm. they sadly had to get rid of all the cats like they tried to rehome some of them and and it's kind of like what you said when there's a problem with the pest for the betterment of the wildlife we deal with it and and sometimes that's yeah. not real ha- happy to talk about but um what's happening is definitely going to be way worse than getting rid of the problem i agree yeah i agree i agree with your 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 tweets about cats too cute and cuddly inside not so good outside <laughs> we always ask our guests on the podcast if they have a a pet story they could share. Um, do you have a pet story you could share with us? My pet story is probably going to involve a cat since that's all I've had in my life. No, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I've had so many cats. Um, just recently, I attempted <laughs> to take one of my cats outside on a leash. <laughs> and I uh, took it to the uh, close. I'm, I'm by a park. Uh, called Cortona Park. It's a little like pocket park. Um, but I took her there and she managed to wiggle out of the harness oh, no. <laughs> and run up to a tree and try to climb the tree. And I had to like climb halfway up the tree to grab her. <laughs> so you, yeah, no did, more taking cats outside on leashes for me. Yeah. Did did you have quite the crowd of people wondering what you were doing? No, luckily no. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, if I was at a park and then some guy like me was randomly climbing a tree, there'd people would be like, "What are you doing? What's happening over there?" <laughs> Come over and take pictures and wonder what's going on. 
this park was fairly uh, isolated, so I was like, okay, I can comfortably take her uh, out here and have her like, uh, you know, just smell around. And but that wasn't the case. She right. freaked out. <laughs> so if you are, is that something you would suggest? If uh, like if you can train your cat, they're they're okay on a leash if you can get them outside that way. That way you have control over them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm fine with people uh, putting harnesses on their cats and taking them outdoors. Nothing they can do on a harness. No. Unless you're like chasing around animals with your cat on a harness, then that's a different story. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think anybody's doing that. That's I've seen a few people walking cats on uh, a leash. Um, I think I think just like a, walking a dog on a leash, it probably takes a bit of training for them to figure out what's going on. They're certainly more nimble than a dog, so... <laughs> I can imagine yeah. how easily a wormy cat would be to get out of a, a a harness they don't want to be in. So they're a little bit more dexterous than the average dog. Yeah. Um, there's no way. Once I put a harness on our our dog Bunsen, he he can't get out of it. He just <laughs> he has no flexibility. He's built like a brick. So <laughs> once it's on him, yeah, it's on him. Yeah. Once that harness is on him, it's on him. So he's. He's kind of like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. If you put anything on his back, um, like yeah. that's it. You can't reach it. It's just over for him. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog is he? Uh, uh, he's a Bernice Mountain dog. He's a he's a big guy. Okay, that's what I okay. Yeah, yeah. He's about a hundred pounds. He's a big guy. Well, he's actually small for Bernice Mountain dogs. So for males, um, but we think yeah. he's pretty big. I said a hundred pound dog is pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is big. Yeah. Um, I, there was a couple male burners that we ran into, uh, that's, and they were about 130 pounds. So Bunsen makes most dogs look really small. And those other Bernice mountain dogs were big boys and boy, they made him look tiny. One of the questions that we always ask our guests in the, in the interview, um, is for a super fact. Do you have a super fact for us? A super fact is like something that, you know, that when you tell people, it kind of like blows their mind. I like telling people that the fastest animal on earth is actually a bird. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. Um, the peregrine falcon, <clears throat> when it stoops, like uh, during a hunt, a stoop is basically a dive. Um, they reach up to like 300 miles per hour. Holy man. <laughs> yeah. And, and are they have, do they slow down before they like catch the thing they're going after? Or is it, or do they, can they, can they, I'm just kind of confused that they must be able to like rapidly slow down or they're going to yeah. crash. Yeah. So for the most, I, I believe it's like 250 miles per hour they reach, but um, they do this thing known as like a peregrine punch. So like they will uh, ball up their talon and when they're like ball up their feet and when they're uh, diving, they'll just like punch a bird out of the sky Oh my goodness! for the most. Like, um, like a falcon punch from Smash Brothers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, but mid, like, uh, I believe it's 250, 300. Uh, I, I could be wrong on that. I could be pushing it on the 300, but um, they they push those speeds. And wow. a lot of people, we grow up uh, knowing that, uh, what, cheetahs are fast. Yep. And, but no, it's, it's, it's a bird. It's, it's a bird that lives in, uh, I, I believe, Almost every continent. They're all over the place, right? Yeah. yeah all over the place. That's yeah. crazy. That's a cool super fact. This blows my mind even though it blows my mind every time I say it. Yeah. Um, I also I also like you brought that up because um, like I'm a high school teacher and uh, I set up 
I set up uh, on Fridays at uh, at lunch for the kids to come play Smash Brothers, and there's this, a couple kids. <laughs> Are you familiar with the the Nintendo game Smash Brothers? Yes. Yeah. So for listeners who don't play video games, Smash Brothers is a Nintendo game where you have all of these different Nintendo characters, and you have to basically knock each other off a ledge. And there's this one guy named Captain Falcon, and one of his moves is this punch, and he just shouts Falcon Punch, and it's really strong. So mm-hmm. so for people who like video games, this is going to be kind of funny. You brought that up, that it's an actual thing. The Falcon does punch. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I wonder that. if it was actually based off of that in I some wa- kind of way. I, I probably. I don't know. Um, yeah, probably. Because he's very fast in the game. This character can run very quickly, so that's funny. But he doesn't fly. He's a he's like a, he's some random white dude with a hat. So I don't I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the creator of Captain Falcon was a birder. There you go. Yeah, that'd be there. You go. That's it. There you go. <laughs> um, speaking of birds, what's what's your favorite bird? If you had to pick a couple or one, like what's your what's your favorite bird? Um, I'm a bird of prey kind of kind of guy. So. My favorite bird would probably be a gray horned owl. Ooh, I love those birds. Yes. Are are they around New York or or not? Yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> they breed in the Bronx, uh, in Pelham Bay Park. Uh, I believe in Van Cortland Park as well. Um, I had one just last month on a Christmas bird count in Pelham Bay Park. Well, two. We had a pair in a tree, but um, but yeah, this these birds are are amazing. Nicknamed uh, tiger owl, they have the most diverse prey profile out of every out of any mar- a raptor in the Americas. It's about 500 species that they've been caught uh, uh, preying on. So it's amazing. These 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 birds are hardcore. I I I'm just blown away that you have those owls in the middle of the city. I just can't. That's crazy. That's, that's and a, a lot of people don't know this, and <laughs> I try to like, uh, <clears throat> just like talking to my non-birder friends, and just letting them know that like, there's hawks, falcons, uh, uh, owls, like where you live. Because <laughs> when people, like we live in the country, I live on a uh, like a farm just outside of a a, a city, in in. And when we see owls out here, we're like pretty excited. I love owls. Um, I think I saw something about uh, you and you and you and your dog um, running into a an owl or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so down in our our uh, our like our house kind of overlooks this creek, right? Um, so that's where I take Bunsen for our uh, walks. So, like we go for walks in the the, wind, the summer. And then in the winter, I cross-country ski. So we go cross-country skiing because it's, like, full of snow. Um, and, yeah, we were walking uh, through the creek, and there are, there is occasionally owls that live down there. And all of a sudden, it was the sky was raining with owls. Like, two owls just kind of, like, floated from the top down to the ground. Um, and then I don't have Bunsen on a leash because we're really far away from town, and he's really good. But he's curious, so he went – I was like shouting at him. I'm like, what do you know? And then before I knew it, he was like checking out these owls that were on the ground and he was, he wasn't going to bite them or anything. He's super gentle. And the one owl just like hopped at him with its claws and was 
probably going to take his face off. And he then he then he gave them a good distance. He's like, whoa, those guys don't play. I'm going to keep back a bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I, I've asked a bunch of birders and, and bird bird people, like, why why the owls were on the ground. Um, and I had a couple different responses. And it, it, I, we still really don't know. Like, one of them was maybe it was they were protecting a nest uh more likely they were juveniles learning to fly and we startled them and they tried to fly away and couldn't so they like crash landed <laughs> yeah that's that's probably that's what that's what i was thinking from uh from the video that i saw um that's what i was i was thinking that there were like fledglings that tried to fledge and couldn't fly too well and ended up down there does that happen? This that must happen in the city, hey? Like if they're living in the city and they're learning to fly, they must crash on the ground and um, yeah. And- they um, typically like <clears throat> so we had a nesting pair in Pelham, and uh, you would go through like seeing the seeing a female in a nest, and then a uh, little while later you would see a two or three little fluffy heads in the nest, uh-huh. and then a little <laughs> while after that you see the little owlets on like the edge of the the edge of the nest like the little hole that they were nesting in and then uh a little while later they're like on lower branches close to the ground so like they tried to fly out and couldn't and then ended up climbing up some diagonal branch that's uh hanging off the ground and just like were a few feet off the ground and stayed there until they were able to uh finally do things on their own but yeah, that's pretty common for uh, owls, or at least great horned owls. Yeah, and do you hear them at night? Like they're loud, right? Like you, they must. If you're out there and it's quiet enough, I guess New York is really loud. But do you do you get to hear yeah. them? Um, Pelham is is pretty is not close to where I am, so I don't hear them. But if you was if you was around Pelham at the time, you would definitely hear them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's. I, man, that's that's so cool to talk to you about owls, and you're in this massive city, and you have a similar experience like being around owls that I do in the country. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, I love I love my uh, super protective over my Pelham owls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah do do you do, are you concerned that people might mess with them, or are you worried the city isn't protecting them at all, or do you think people just really respect that they're there and they leave them alone as part of nature? Um. This this may be a hot take, and I apologize to some of my photographer friends, but <laughs> uh, birders, for the most part, respect the distance. But I had a few, I had to tell a few photographers um, around that nesting site to like back up and get on the path instead of because I saw them plenty of times off the path and right up to the tree where the whole, where the uh, nest was and. Yeah, so Oh, okay. They're getting way too close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too close. Yeah. Um so yeah, that that was a few times, but uh for the most part they nested in that same spot uh for multiple years. That tree has now fallen, so they moved to another spot, but they're still in Pelham, just in a less known spot now, which is uh for the better. Yeah, that's probably better for them and uh for the people that really respect them well they'll they'll you know they know they're there and they'll give them space and the the touristy kind of photographers <laughs> don't know where they went 
And I'd, ima- yeah, yeah. I'd imagine if they were the annoying type, the, the you 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 the locals who know where they are probably aren't super helpful in telling them where they are either. At <laughs> all, we act like we don't even know what hours are. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. Protect. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Um, and for people who are listening, um, we when I was taking Bunsen on walks after that, we avoided that area of the forest altogether because um, I didn't want to bug that the those owls. Um, so we gave them a wide berth, um, just in case anybody was worried that we kept going back to see them. We that was a one time thing, um, and then I gave them like a month, and then we went back through that area, and they were grown by then and flitting about through the trees, uh, just in case people were concerned. Um, cause they mm-hmm. might, they might check out that video you were talking about. Yeah. And Bunsen did get attacked by one of the owls. And <laughs> <laughs> learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. He learned his lesson. He, um, when they would flit about through the trees, he would know they were up there and he just didn't, he didn't care. So it's not like he was chasing them or anything. He's like, well, they're up there, but we're just going to keep on walking because if they come down, I'm going to not see them. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're kind of at the end of the interview, uh, Jeff. Thanks for talking to me about birds. And I, one of the things that's super cool from our conversation that I hope people get is that even in super populated cities, we're surrounded by birds. And if you're interested in birds, you can find them where you live, which is really cool. Yes. Um, where can people find you on social media uh, if they want to follow you? Um. On Twitter at uh, Jeffrey M. Ward or Instagram at underscore New York Made. And, and uh, just as an aside or a pro tip, I'm going to be coming back to New York City for a conference. Um, where, where would you should suggest some places I go to look for birds if I'm going to be in New York for a couple days uh, in March? Uh, where, where is your conference going to be? I think it's, it's close to the United Nations headquarters. Um, got you, got you. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, Central Park is always yeah, always an option. Bryant Park. Bryant Park. Uh, if you're cool. nearby, it's a little small. It's a pretty small park, but uh, there's a lot of cool things in there this year so far. There's a woodcock that's hanging around and a veri that's hanging around. So, um, but yeah, uh, get out to Central Park if you can. I will. I'm definitely going to go there. I, I have such fond memories of that place. It's amazing. Oh, maybe I'll run into you. Oh, yeah. It'd be so cool. All right. Well, thanks for the tips about birds and, and thanks for talking to me today. I really appreciate the conversation. Never a problem. All right. You take care. All right, man. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Genius Lab Gear. Genius Lab Gear is giving everybody 10% off everything at their store if you use the code BUNSEN10, that's B-U-N-S-E-N 10. Genius Lab Gear has a ton of cool stuff. We love that they sent Bunsen a bandana that says PhD Emotional Support Dog. It's so cute. Also, they have these little wallet-sized stencils for doing organic molecules. And if you're not a scientist or a science teacher, there's gear at the site that you would like as well, including Sciences for Everyone stickers and a whole bunch of other stuff. Check them out. That's at GeniusLabGear.com. Okay, it's time for Woo or Wow on the Science Podcast, and I have a guest host again, and the guest host is Danielle Newton. How are you doing, Danielle? I'm doing really well, thanks. Now, Danielle, you teach at Lindsay Thurber uh, with me too, 
Uh, what do you teach at Lindsay Thurber? Uh, so I teach chemistry, but then also some general science courses. Right. And sadly, you were on isolation right now because like a week ago, you thought you had some symptoms of COVID-19. Yeah, um, I think I was mostly in my head because I felt fine the next day. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was probably best to just stay away from everyone. And so, yeah, I've been on self-isolation for the last like seven days or so. So you got another week of this until you're like completely safe, right? Correct. Yeah. So halfway there. Oh. Um, Danielle also is a volleyball coach at, at Thurber as well. So, so today's, yeah. So in Wurwau, I'm going to read three different statements and two of them are fake and one of them's true. And the category this week is pop culture movies from the 1980s. Oh, great. Just in my wheelhouse. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Danielle's a little bit younger than me, and uh, we had a really funny uh, discussion one lunch. What what show did you not know what I was referencing? Uh, well, a lot of shows, but uh, like the Gremlins movie, I didn't get your reference there. <laughs> a lot of the Ghostbusters ones go over my head. Ghostbusters yeah. was the main, yeah. Ghostbusters was the main one. Yeah. No, today's to- today's topic is about owls because the guest this week. Um, is Jeffrey Ward, who is a birder from New York City. So okay. that's your category, owls, not okay. not pop culture movies from the 1980s. Okay. <laughs> okay, you ready for the first statement? Yeah. All right, here's the first statement. A group of owls together is called a knot. Okay. K-N-O-T. Okay. They're called a knot. All right, do you want to hear the next statement? Yes. Are you sure? Do you know anything about that first statement or do you need to hear some more? Um, I'm leaning towards it being fake. I don't know what a group of owls is called, but I don't think it would be a knot, but go on. Almost all ancient cultures thought the owl was a symbol of wisdom, power, and strength. Okay. Wisdom, power, and strength. Okay. Yeah. Now, no cheating. No cheating. You can't be Googling this on your phone like some kid would. No. Okay. okay. You want to hear the third? You want to hear the third yeah. statement? Yeah. Okay. Owls can turn their head nearly completely around because they actually pool blood in their brain so they don't die. Oh, my gosh. Hmm, That one seems kind of like far-fetched, but enough that that could almost be true. Do you want me to recap the statements? Um, yes. Okay, so remember, two of these are fake. One of these is true. One's one's a wow. A group of owls is called a knot. Statement two. Owls in nearly all ancient cultures were symbols of wisdom, power, and strength. And statement three, the reason owls don't die when they completely turn their head around, well, they don't completely turn their head around, but almost completely turn their head around, is blood is pooled in their brain. Hmm. Oh, man. Okay, I feel like one is out. Like, I know one has got to be fake. Okay, so they're not called the knot. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Again, okay. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> okay, so you're down to two statements. Yeah, two or three. I'm going to go with, I got to go with number three being the truth because it's just so wild that it's got to be true. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer, yeah. Final answer. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, let's take a look at the first statement that you were pretty sure was fake. Let's see if this just took okay, you out yeah. right here. 
A group of owls is called a parliament, not a knot. You're right. A group of sparrows okay. is called a knot. Oh, okay. Now I know. Yeah, there you know a couple bird facts. There you go. So when whenever you have to teach about birds in school, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Science thirty, maybe science thirty, maybe. Um, yeah. I think it's funny that like owls really don't group up together and fly around in a flock, but when they do, it's called a parliament. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was funny because if you think of like our parliament in in politics, parliaments don't really accomplish much. Much, um, and and owls are really hard to train. I didn't know that. I, you think they're really oh. smart, but yeah. people that keep owls as pets, they're like almost impossible to get them to do anything. Um, oh, they're like the know. worst bird you could possibly have to train to do anything. Like Canada geese are Canada geese are easier to train than owls, apparently. Hmm. All right. And Canada geese, Canada geese are scary. Yeah, I don't really like those. No. <laughs> okay, so now we're down to two statements. Mm-hmm. So you got a 50, you got a 50-50 here. So let's start, let's talk, let's take a look at the second statement. Okay. The owls in nearly all ancient cultures were symbols of wisdom, power, and strength. That one is Woo! You're right. The third statement was true. You got Woo-hoo. it. Nice. All right. Yeah, so you and Jackie got it right, and Graham got it wrong. He's going to be so salty. Yeah, we're definitely going to rub that in his face. So, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> it's about it's about fifty fifty for ancient ancient cultures. Greeks loved the owl. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know much about Greek mythology, but Athena is constantly pictured with her owl. Okay. Um, but other yeah, but other cultures absolutely hated the owl. The Romans didn't like them at all, and the Aztec Mayans thought they were symbols of death and destruction. So it's about 50-50. Not all cultures thought the owl was, you know, the best thing ever. Right. I kind of figured there would be some, yeah, differences there with cultures. Maybe just because they look, they just look freaky, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the third statement is true, that owls do pool blood uh, to keep themselves from dying when they, because if a human was to do that maneuver, right, most people who suffer severe um, you know, injury and even death and car accidents come from the tearing of the head, um, mm-hmm. right from like tra- trauma, the blood at the base of an owl head, just under the jawbone, um, the blood vessels get larger and larger as blood enters. So the fluid is pooled there and that allows them to keep like, they've got that giant head. It keeps their head fueled with the nutrients in blood. Um, yep. but it also allows the, the blood vessels to thin. So when they turn their head, it doesn't tear anything because the blood is pulled oh, below. It's that's crazy. Really cool. It's completely different than most other creatures and how the neck works. Like our necks are super thick and muscular. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we can't do that. Like if you tried to turn your head around back, like only contortionists can do that. Um, yeah. But the average person can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, we have this uh, for people. Most people don't know much about our school, but there's this uh, thing called Thurber's Got Talent. Have you ever gone to Thurber's Got Talent? I've gone to it. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the high school kids. It's like they put on a talent show. It's always so good. Yeah. And about four, four or five years ago, a girl, some girl that I taught, she was a contortionist. I didn't even, and she like oh. folded herself down into a suitcase and somebody zipped her up. It was crazy. Oh I know crazy. that was, Holy. that was her, that was her whole act. She just like dislocated her shoulder and everybody's like, Ooh! and then she yeah. folded herself down into a suitcase. And I think she got third because it was just the craziest thing. 
Yeah, that's so there you go. Nice. Maybe maybe some you know maybe some people have owl properties like that. yeah yeah. Thanks for joining me for a while. You got her right. Uh, so oh. Thurber teachers are batting sixty six percent on Wow. Nice. I think I think Mister I think Daryl Zelinsky's up next. Well, hopefully he represents. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you later. I won't be able to see you because you're still in quarantine. Yeah. No, it was nice to actually be able to talk with someone. So this is good. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, well, one week left, hey? Yeah, one week left. Okay. Yeah. Take care, Daniel. Thanks so much. Hello, everybody. It is time for story time with me, Adam. So today, oh, wait, it's not just story time. It's quarantine time stories with me adam please get back to the survival bunker before the this section of the podcast is over we're going to be talking about special things that happen in the quarantine with bunsen how long have you you've been starting to do school by online right yes uh, on Monday, I started doing, I had uh, homework to do, basically. So we've all been cooped up around here with Bunsen, which isn't actually that bad. It's quite fun to have him around. And there's been some crazy things that have happened when we're here all day with him. Mom, would you like to tell your story? Yeah, I sure do. So my story actually happened at night. Um, we had taken Bunsen to get uh, his haircut. And he was so soft and he was so fuzzy and that was just a beautiful experience just feeling his silky hair anyway he jumped up into the bed with us at night and that's a treat in and of itself because he doesn't stay anyway it and he's was so warm and he's so warm and he <laughs> jumped up and i don't know he just laid down beside me and he fit so well and i was rubbing his new silky fur and uh, Jason and I were reminiscing of him as a puppy and about his paws and about his shark, uh, sharp shark teeth. And um, we were just, you know, reminiscing of some stories that you've probably heard before. Um, and then Bunsen decided, nope, enough is enough. But he extended his paw and he punched me in the eye. <laughs> and... I was very concerned because my eye swelled shut and I thought, oh no, what if he has wrecked my eye? What if he has scratched my cornea? Oh my goodness. And Jason's like, your eye closes very, very quickly. And I'm thinking, you're not having the pain of the eye that I am having right now. Because again, we don't want to be a taxation on the healthcare system. Like, uh, excuse me, I am a pirate now. Uh, I got my eye punched out by my dog when they are so busy dealing with the other crisis that's happening right now. So luckily, I just put a face cloth on my eye. I wetted (laughs) it down and I just put it on my eye and I fell asleep and I woke up and it was okay. Right. So you made fun of me when I got Harvey dented by Puppy Bunsen. I know. We were just laughing about it. Well, I was laughing. Yeah. I did not laugh at you getting uh, like right hooked by a burner. Uh, well, you know what the good thing is, is he would have had his claws trimmed. Oh, yeah. But yeah. his claws don't, he, he doesn't really get crazy sharp claws. No, yeah, but it's still, yeah, they're still dull, but like it still was, there. uh, still was there and did not scratch my eye. So win, win. Uh, that's pretty crazy getting punched by a dog. Sucker punched, actually. Sucker punched. I did not see it I coming. was prepared for the first one, but then I wasn't expecting you to punch me again. <laughs> Michael Scott. 
<laughs> or Dwight. No, it was Michael that Scott. It was Michael Scott, yeah. <laughs> Love that one. So something that happened to me with Bunsen is that we went outside as a family and we were going to build a Quincy, which is like a house in the snow. It's not quite an igloo. It's like a smaller version of an igloo, except for it's not really an igloo at all. When you think of an igloo, you think snow bricks all around up in a circle. But what a Quincy is, is you've got a big mountain of snow and you just dig a hole into it and put a stick in there and boom, there you go. Quincy. And... Uh, we built it. We were having fun. But there was this massive ice chunk on the ground that Bunsen was just having a time with. You it's know? the HRV icicle. Yeah. Uh, Bunsen was chewing at it and everything. And I grabbed it and I chucked it a couple times. And he would go after it. Yeah. It was very fun. He likes just finding things. He's just He has a knack for finding things. So he, when you chucked in the deep snow, did he go get it? He went and got it. Oh, good, good deal. Except for not really. He yeah. waited for mom to dig it up. Yeah, because he know he knows that Chris is going to help him. Yeah. Well, what I really liked, Adam, is when you were picking up those chunks of snow and throwing them at him. Oh yeah, I would just throw big, uh, big or small chunks of snow at him to see if he would catch it. Almost, he almost caught it with me. Yeah, he almost caught it with you, which is still fun because he was having a great time. He was having. A good he time. ate that entire icicle like it's half gone. What? It's half gone. He ate half of it. He had to pee like seven times yesterday. <laughs> it's so much ice. Ice, ice, baby. Uh-huh. All right, Dad. Is there anything cool that happened to you and Bunsen? We're on social isolation here in Canada. Hot ice. Yeah, isolation. Uh, um, so people are doing a pretty good job, I want to say, of in Alberta of doing social iso- isolation. Um, so they've closed down the latest thing is they've closed down everything in the like kids can play like parks and things like that that's all shut down but we're lucky being on a farm because I can take him cross-country skiing my story is we got a GoPro and a GoPro harness for him so now I have footage of what it looks like for Bunsen to go on adventures and the footage is adorable do you like the footage Chris uh, it's very good Adam, do you like the footage of Bunsen? I like the footage of Bunsen. It's so cute because it's his level and you kind of get into his head because you can see when he shakes the snow off of him. That's my favorite part is when he, part is when he goes... Yeah. And, and then it shakes. You can tell. And, I, and he's faster than me most of the time so he gets way ahead and then you can see where he stops and he looks back and he waits for me to make sure I'm okay and then he just books it. And when he books it, it really goes. So... Anyways, that's that's my story. Check out the footage that I put on um, his social media. It's it's so adorable seeing what he sees when we go out in the snow. Yeah, some pretty some pretty scary not scary some pretty cool stories from this scary isolation time. Warning: quarantine has started once again. Please get back to the podcast so then we can finish it up. Also, we will be serving dried prunes and nutrition blocks for dinner tonight. Bye. And so we've come to the end of another podcast episode. Thanks so much for listening. I just hope everybody's staying safe out there, especially our friends in New York. I talked to Jeffrey Ward the other day through Twitter. He's totally safe. He's uh, sheltering in place. He's social isolating. The the numbers of coronavirus is, is really going up in New York. So if you're listening to us in any of the major metropolises in the um, that are being affected, our, just, our hearts go out to you. Please stay safe. The podcast is made possible by our awesome patrons on Patreon. And our top tier patrons get a shout out at the end of the podcast. They are Andrea Persons, Bianca Hyde, 
Brooke Lavallo, Carmen Presido, Daniel Fry, Elizabeth Bourgeois, Judith Martin, Karen Beth St. George, Catherine Lynch, Kathleen Zerker, Mary Coos, Marianne McNally, Ben Rathert, Liz Button, and Rebecca Rutherford. If you want to hear your name at the end of the podcast, head to the Patreon page and check out the tiers of support. Again, special thanks to Jeffrey Ward, the amateur birder we had on as our expert. Um, he's got a wealth of knowledge. Follow, follow him on social media. He's got a lot of really great pictures and he interacts with um, what he sees with the birds around New York City. Let's end with Bunsen's motto. For science, empathy, and cuteness. And wash your paws. <laughs> <laughs>